This is Talking Business. I'm joined now by Ray Brown, who's the principal and CEO of Architectus, which is an architecture firm. Nice to be here, Alan. G'day, Ray. Now, um, uh, you've been, the firm's been going about 20 years, uh, but you've been growing quite rapidly in the last six or seven um, tell us about that growth and, and where it's come from. Yeah, we've grown um, on an annualised basis at about over 20% per annum. Uh, we had a couple of very strong years at 40% growth. Um, growth's come through geographic expansion, uh, through uh, sector specialisation. Um, we work across transport, education, residential, commercial and public buildings, um, interior design and uh, urban design and town planning. Um, so it's about diversity of geography uh, and specialisation in uh, sectors. Didn't hurt, I suppose, that you uh, got a, got some recognition for number one Bly Street. Um, that was a, certainly um, a seminal moment in the in the development of the practice. It's uh, an outstanding project. Um, continues to uh, win awards. Uh, it was completed um, 2011 now, but uh, last year we were. Um, it was awarded uh, one of the top. 50 most significant buildings of the last 50 years. It's quite a building. Um, it really is something. Mm. Um, uh, so uh, tell us a bit about how the, the business of architecture is changing. I mean, uh, there's a couple of things that are going on, it seems to me. Firstly, climate change is changing the way buildings have to be designed. And secondly, data and computers, obviously, and uh, information data, what, what's called um, BIM, business information modelling. Building information modelling. Is um, having a lot to do with things. Uh, how are those th- those things coming together in the way that um, architecture operates? Look, I think uh, talking about climate change, first of all, I mean, it's always been um, at top of mind uh, for our practice in terms of doing the best we can from an environmental standpoint. Uh, the building industry in Australia has been pretty good at uh, taking on uh, change and taking on energy efficiency, uh, looking at different materials and achieving better environmental outcomes. I think there's obviously uh, a lot more urgency uh, growing in the, in that discussion. I keep um, hearing about, and we're going to have to go further. I keep hearing about buildings that don't have air conditioning now, you know, just the way they've designed the airflow and so on. Are you doing any of that? Yeah, we are, and uh, many of our buildings incorporate uh, areas of the building that are naturally ventilated. I think it's one of the uh, one of the areas where we need to do a lot more work. One Bly Street, for instance, the atrium is naturally ventilated. It means people can get out of their office, uh, conditioned environment, get straight into a natural environment without having to leave the building and go to the bottom story uh, to access natural air. Um, we did a similar thing for Qantas, where we made a, a large uh, internal street atrium at the heart of their, their campus down at Mascot. Um, that's all naturally ventilated. Very pleasant conditions uh, throughout the year. Right. Um, and uh, and what about data? Yeah, the building information modelling is something we've been um, actively uh, in that space now for pretty much for 20 years uh, when we introduced it to our practice. Uh, it's a fundamental change in the way we put buildings together, or at least the way we document buildings and design them. Um, what it is, rather than doing drawings which are um, independent entities which um, you pull together as a collection to be able to build a building, uh, it's a single database uh, model of the building. It's a digital model. Um, you can input any data you want to into that model. So it might be um, what's the paint colour inside a room, uh, what are the door handles, uh, what are the windows, what sort of air conditioning does it have. For instance, there's no limit to the amount of data you can 
uh, input into that model. And then it's just a matter of how you view that data, whether you want to view it as a spreadsheet, whether you want to view it as a drawing, um, whether you want to use it for virtual reality uh, testing as a, as a uh, building user that might want to understand the building before it's actually uh, concert or you know realised. Do you do many or any residential towers? Yes, we do. Uh, residential is probably about 15% uh, or maybe a little bit less of our business. And we work across the full gamut of residential. Uh, that might include um, student housing, aged care, uh, independent living units, affordable housing, social housing. And then, of course, uh, and then as well, um, you know, private housing. Um, but generally, projects of scale, for instance, we've uh, been commissioned for a project in Sydney, uh, which is a... Uh, 270-metre, 80-storey residential tower and hotel. Right. So uh, what about all the controversy about the defects in uh, build-to-own residential towers? Um, I mean, uh, as we speak, New South Wales is uh, announcing a a whole lot of reforms to fix that area up. Yep. Uh, Is there a lot of pressure from developers on people like you to cut corners? Um, Not so much in the markets that we operate. I mean, we are... um particular about who we work for in um, who our client base are and in the residential space that is even more important we tend to work with top tier uh, listed developers in that space we do of course work with some privates as well uh, but we're quite particular about who we do work for there's been such a growth in um, apartment development I think the problem that you see in Sydney is a result of uh, procurement processes but also um, some smaller developers who only a few years ago were probably doing uh, three and four storey buildings have uh, been doing 20 and 30 storey buildings and the complexity in those projects and the requirement for um, really rigorous processes through design and construction are not necessarily there. Right. I mean, one of the interesting things that strikes me about this whole area is that um, uh, you don't often hear about defects in office buildings. Uh uh, but you do hear about them in yep. residential buildings. So, is there? Uh, there obviously is a fundamental difference in the in the w- the way that they're put together, or at least the way that they're um, how can I put it developed? I suppose is that right? And because you do both, do, yes. you, do you find that there's a different set of pressures? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on residential? And, and they're not so much uh, the pressures, but it's 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 comes back to the uh, developers and the kind of builders they will. Um, engage with, uh, it, it, you know, we tend to work at the top tier of the industry. We're working for listed property trusts. We're working with top tier contractors. Once you drop down, um, and they're the people that tend to develop office buildings, residentials, completely different market though. So that you also have the, um, you know, the tier one players in that space. And I think all the tier one players in that space have not been really damaged uh, by this defects, you know, um, right. issue that's been happening happening in New South Wales particularly and in Melbourne and in Victoria. Um, it is the third tier players and second tier players that have uh, where the major issues. Because I, I mean, I, it seems to me that possibly uh, uh, one of the issues is that the with the residential towers, the, the apartments are being sold one by one to investors yep. who are after a tax break and who aren't making too much doing too much due diligence about it, whereas office towers tend to be owned by one, one owner. One owner. Um, and so it's a whole different kind of uh, financial structure. Yeah, it is. And it's a, and it's a um, 
you know, it's a structure where there's a long-term imperative. Uh, this property trust want to own those projects for many, many years. Um, so they They don't want them to fall down. Absolutely. They're acutely aware of the ongoing maintenance costs and the quality of the build day one, whereas if people are looking for a quick turnaround um, and selling on problems, um, you know, residential is uh, where that where those problems tend to manifest. Yes. Um, uh, who do you think should pay for the uh, removal, replacement of flammable cladding? Yeah, it's, that's an interesting point as well. It's cladding that was deemed to be um, uh, acceptable um, only a, a few years ago. Um, I must admit, 20 years ago, looking at some of these products and uh, being astounded that they could be deemed to be, um, did you put in? Did you specify any? Uh, any look, we we have a little bit of exposure there, but it's generally in uh, commercial office buildings, um, which are very well fire protected in the first place, and they have a completely different risk profile to um, to residential buildings. Uh, we don't have any. We haven't ever used that product. I think in a residential project, um, we don't actually like the product particularly. Um, so we're quite pleased to see it out of the market in a way. Yeah. Right. Well, um, someone's going to have to pay for replacing it. There's, there's going to be a lot of money to be spent on that, uh, it seems to me. Yes, well, whether insurance is going to be paying for it, um, whether government will be paying for it, I suppose government will be paying for it across um, across government buildings. I think there's quite a there's significant a of, program in, in finger, Queensland at the moment. A lot of finger pointing going on. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, uh, how far can your growth go for? Um Twenty uh, percent a year. I mean, that's that's quite a compound growth. You'll end up. Uh... Yeah, it's it's certainly slowed uh, now. Um, look, our growth has really been uh, related to uh, the people that have been uh, we've brought into the business. So we have a structure, very flat structure. All of our principals are shareholders in the business. Um, it really helps us attract uh, really good talent. Do you have external shareholders? Brings, uh, no, we don't have any external shareholders. Right. Yeah. So it's all people in the business Absolutely. who own the shares. Yeah, and that's a fundamental uh, principle of, of the business. How do you, um, where do you stand in the kind of the league table of Australian uh, architect yeah, firms? Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're one of the larger firms um, in the country. We were recently uh, the highest ranked Australian firm in the uh, world architecture top 100 companies, um, which counts... Uh, Architects actually in the practice. Yeah, right. I mean, the the number one Bly Street was a um, uh, was a collaboration with a uh, I think a German that's firm. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Um, uh, that's. Do, do you find, or do you think it's possible that you could collaborate in, say, Germany, with somebody? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and we have actually done that. We did that project with uh, Christoph Ingenhoven from Dusseldorf, um, who had. Um, a very uh, deep history and, and expertise in um, environmental high-rise, um, double-skin facades and so on, things that we incorporated into One Bly Street. We've done a number of competitions together, including a competition that we did together in Cologne for a, uh, a museum. By competition, you mean a pitch? Yeah, it was a pitch. Well, a lot of our work is won through competition. It's more than a pitch. It's actually oh, a fully um, developed design proposal. Yeah, right. Very good. Well, it's been great talking to you, Ray. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Alan. I've been talking to Ray Brown, who is the Principal and CEO of Architectus.